there's a visitor in here, I can feel it. You can sense it. You, you know when God's doing something powerful. But all that stuff comes at a bit of a cost. And I want to speak into that today to try and encourage you in your journey. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a few personal bits along, along the road, as it were. And um, hopefully, hopefully tonight, um, my prayer is we're going to not just sing songs about chains falling off, but my prayer is that we'll see some chains fall off. Um, because if we can't get free and we're in ministry, what are we going to reproduce in our congregations? And so the trick is, is for us to discover his power and get free. Um, I've got a couple of scriptures for you. The first one's from Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and it says this. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope does not disappoint us. Hope, if I was to start a new church, I reckon I'd probably call it Hope. I think that's such a cool name for a church, Hope. The whole deal of hope. In fact, there is a church called Hope in AOG, isn't there? At New somewhere, town, New Town, Alan Hewitt's church. Hope does not disappoint us because God's poured out his love into our hearts. This whole thing of ministry, this whole thing of working for God is a phenomenal challenge. I want to spin you back in a few years. A few years ago, I was saved uh, 30 years ago. Incidentally, Newquay Christian Center is a surfy kind of church right on the front of Newquay. It was a seaside church. Uh, is a seaside, it's still a seaside, still there, isn't it? It, was a, it is a seaside church. Um, <laughs> and God sent us there uh, uh, 22 years ago. I went reluctantly. I didn't go because I wanted to go. Um, I, I, the only reason I went was because I was more scared of God than anything else. And so I knew I had to go. And so uh, thus I had this kind of geographic call. It's a church that has expanded and grown considerably. We put out I think there are eight people running churches that have gone out from our church now in the, in the county. When we went to Cornwall, there are only uh, two Elim churches. I think there's something like 14 now. So uh, there's something pretty cool going on there. But it's been a journey, and I want to share that with you in degrees, as it were, uh, you know, to try and encourage you. 28, at the, sorry, 28 years old, uh, in my old church, I was saved in Winton, Elim. You've never heard of that. It's in Bournemouth. You might have heard it. You heard of Winton Elam. Have you heard of Winton Elam? I was saved there under his ministry. Ooh, that's spooky. Ooh. No wonder we get on. <laughs> we were saved at Winton Elam under the ministry of Colin Dye. <laughs> Colin Dye went on to uh, a small church, Kensington Temple, somewhere over, you know, and uh, left us, abandoned us, new Christians there. And uh, I can remember getting a knock on the door, two years saved, and uh, it was a pa- our pastor, called, a guy called John Marriott, who you've not heard of. Ah, good. And uh, John, John sat me down and he said, Mike, he said, I think God's called you for leadership. I want you to put your name down for the diaconate. The diaconate in our church in those days was there was a semicircle at the front. Does anyone remember these days? There was a semicircle and the organ and the piano. Do you remember that? And there was a semicircle and the really, really anointed glow-in-the-dark people sat, and they got communion first. Do you know what I mean? And they had suits and ties on. And he said, he said, I think God's called you to wear a suit and tie, my friend. I think you should be on the front row there, you know. And, uh, and the vote is coming up, and I want to put your name in the pot. All these things are from yesteryear. If you're new into Christianity, then hopefully you've not come across any of this. <laughs> and so I went to this uh, annual general meeting, and they voted. There was me, 
at 20, whatever it was, 29, 30, whatever it was then, and there was a guy called Bob Gowanlock who was about 149, right? And Bob Gowanlock got it. And I can remember sitting in my seat as they read, it's the, it should be criminalized the way they used to do it. They read out the votes and Mike Robbins lost. And Bob Gowanlock, it was like there was a spring in his seat because he flew out of his seat and kind of went forward and got the accolade and got the glory. And I went home thinking, I'm never doing that again. Never doing that again. I'm never going to put myself in a position of vulnerability again. And it was through that time that God began to speak to me about how to manage disappointments in life and how, listen carefully, disappointments are the close cousins of courage. If you're going to have courage, you're going to be disappointed. And I want to prove that from Scripture, and I want to I I encourage you in your ministry, whatever your ministry is, if you're going to be courageous, you're going to get disappointed, and the way you manage your disappointment is going to be your success or your downfall, but the point is, is that we need to engage with God in hope. So even through those days, we push through to the great thing that God's got for us, right? So if we're going to be courageous, we have to manage disappointments. Uh, if I was to talk to you about Joshua in Joshua 1, four times, God tells him to be courageous. He says, be strong and courageous. Then he says, be strong and very courageous. And then he says, have I not commanded you to be strong? and courageous. So courage is such an important thing, but managing it is a different thing. So the moment you take a courageous step, the moment you decide in your small group, if you run a small group, the moment you decide in your worship team to do something different, the moment you shift the bar, the moment you go for something new, you set yourself up potentially for obstacles, and those obstacles will hit you because nothing comes easy in the kingdom but you press through those things because the God of glory has a greater plan for you. Disappointment. Dis, you'll know, is the Roman God of the underworld. He's the equivalent of Pluto, and that's not the dog out of uh, Disney. Pluto uh, was the ruler of Hades. Dis is, means negative. You know this. You can have courage. You can be discouraged. So dis in front of a word puts a negative inflection on it. Disappointment means a non event. All right. So, thinking about this, let's think about how disappointment can occur, and let's look at how we can overcome it. First thing is this. Disappointment can come from our circumstances. We can be disappointed with our circumstances. John twenty nineteen says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, for fear of the Jews. I can remember years ago, I was doing so well. I was in Winton, Elim Church. Uh, I'd applied for Bible college. My wife was pregnant. We didn't get to Bible college. And so what they did was they invited us onto the team at Winton. And so we went onto the team at Winton. I became a, a director of um, a, a, a project then that was called Dawn 2000. And everything was really going good. Everything was going great. Uh, I was preaching a lot, I was getting a lot of invites, and all kinds of things were happening. And then suddenly out of the blue, God calls me to Newquay, right? Now before you all say, oh, I wish I got called to Newquay, listen, let me tell you, Newquay then was the desert, all right? No, Newquay was the backside of the desert. It was the backside of the backside of the backside of the desert. There, there, was, there were 17 people in our church, and probably 16 of them were a bit odd. Do you know what I mean? 
and God called us there, and they couldn't afford to pay it. So I went out of a well-paid job. It's like I often thought, you know, I started at the top and worked my way right down to the bottom, you know? And so God calls us out of this place. And I, I went to a fraternal, which is uh, a... You've been to a fraternal <laughs> or an infernal, something like that, isn't it? And, uh, uh, and, and they were praying for me. All these other ministers were praying for me. And one guy laid hands on me. He said, brother, they're sending you to the desert. Thanks a bunch. Sending me to the desert. He said, seriously, this is the honest truth. He said, people die out in the desert. Like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, this is just getting better and better and better, isn't it? It's getting better and better and better, yeah. And the disappointment in me was phenomenal. I had, I had three little children at that point, and, and I, I had to move my kids, and I had to take a job on a day a week to, to run this church and to deal with these very complex situations that were in this church. And it just wasn't in my plan. It wasn't in my plan. And hear this, it wasn't in the plan of the disciples because Jesus the great liberator had come to set Israel free and then he goes and dies. And so they're tucked away in some room thinking it's all washed up. And actually, listen carefully, they're right on the brink of changing the entire cosmos. And what they presumed was a non-starter and wasn't going to happen was actually the greatest moment that there could ever have been. And so in your group, in what you're facing, in what you're going through, I want to just sow that thought in you. You know what? You could be right on the edge of the breakthrough you've been praying for. Come on, does anybody believe this? You could be right on the edge of what you're praying for. You've been courageous. You stepped out of the boat. You've taken that chance. You've taken a punt. And it's hit you, but it's okay. Press through it. Press through it. Second disappointment area we can have is disappointment with people. Paul said this, but, uh, he talks about Demas because he loved this world. He's deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and uh, Titus has gone to Dalmatia. And, uh, you know, when we first went to uh, Newquay, we had a, a, a couple, in fact, we had quite a few people come and, and swear undying love to us. And um, we're with you forever, brother, you know. And uh, this one couple, we, we encouraged them, we helped them. They were going through marriage issues and so on and so on and so on. And so I took a courageous, uh, calculated risk, and I put them in charge of our embryonic youth work, only to find that, uh, that within about two months, they decided that God had called them to another place, and they were going to go somewhere else. And I got the resignation letter. And I got this resignation letter, and I looked at this letter of resignation, and I thought, good Lord, what have you done? Why have you done this? Why, why have you let me go through this? Why has this happened to me? But I took a chance. Check out the people in the Bible that were disappointed. You remember Moses and Miriam and Aaron in Numbers spoke against him because of his wife? In fact, everybody at some point, somebody's going to have a go at. If I was to do a little mini survey here and to ask you, has anybody ever had a go at you because you're leading something? I'm guessing most of you would say yes. You could nod or smile with affirmation at that. We all do. We all do. But we have to press through these things. Think of Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. Pray for his eyes to be open. He lets his master down. Tries to get cash out of Naaman, the Syrian commander. Paul disappointed in John uh, because he, he, he let him down. Uh, 
No, let's not even get onto the subject of how Jesus was disappointed in his disciples because his disciples consistently let him down. But the point is this, people will let us down, but God will take us through those things. And we have to see through those things to get to the great stuff that God wants us to do. And taking a risk and being courageous is absolutely right and proper because the next time it will come good and even that issue will press through into the good as well. We need to be encouraged by those things. We really do. There's another one here that I just want to mention that you might have come across, and that's disappointment with God. It says, uh, you know, when Lazarus uh, died in John 11.32, it says this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I get where Mary was at. She was the one that sat at his feet. She was the one that trusted him. She put all her eggs in one basket. She, she was totally into him. She was the A-star pupil. She was the one that Jesus said she's done the better thing. And so she puts her trust in Jesus. She's highly courageous with Jesus. She's outrageously courageous with him. All her eggs in one basket, trusts him with her brother's illness, but then is disappointed in him. Now, you and I know the end of that story, that Jesus said this has happened, that, gl- that, that God's glory might be seen in this situation. And so he raises Lazarus from the dead, and that which was dead comes back to life. In fact, I want to speak that over you. I remember Wynn Lewis saying, we're talking about Wynn Lewis, listen to this carefully. Be careful that you don't bury your dead too quickly. Consider this, Jesus is the king of resurrection. And that thing might not have worked immediately. And you might have thought, where were you in this, in this God? Well, maybe God is just testing us and building some spiritual muscle on us to push through. Arena is going to do incredible things. It's going to demand the very highest caliber of people in it. And those people aren't going to be lightweight people. Those people are going to be strong, tenacious, aren't they? Come on, courageous people. And they, they won't stop at a mere disappointment. They'll regroup, they'll push through, and they'll press in because God has promised. And it's the promises of God that drive us, not our circumstances. There'll be many disappointments with God. I receive calls and comments, as I'm sure you do, from people who feel like they've been totally left high and dry by God. They pray for a job, they pray for a baby, they pray for healing or whatever it is. What's the answer? The answer is always hope. What's he said to you? What's he said to you? I can't begin to tell you the potential that's in this room. I don't know whether you can feel it, but do you know what potential there is sitting here? If we can really get this, really get this, how many campuses you're going to plant? <laughs> Quite a few. I've lost track of the amount of times that I've been through this. I love what Job says. Even though he slay me, yet I'll hope in him. He'll bring it through. Fourth thing, fourth thing, real quick, disappointment with me. Uh, You might want to make a note of this. You are not perfect. All right? You might have discovered that. You might not have discovered that. But you're not perfect. Everybody in this room will have blown it at some point. Every one of us will have made our mistakes. Everybody here will have uh, at some point got it wrong, heard God wrong, and so on and so on and so on. Um, we might have said the wrong thing. We might have missed the important occasion. We might have called someone the wrong name. That's my, that's my personal one that I do. I introduced myself to people in my church that had been there like for 20 years. 
and shake their hand and say, are you new here? And they say, Mike, 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 it's me. I thank God that God is the God of grace because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. And the word I believe that is for you from God today is this, is get over it and move on. It doesn't matter because, because it just doesn't because God is a God of grace. And if you've got locked in a position where you, where you did something and it didn't work and it didn't come through and God didn't come through the way you expected him to and maybe you made a bad decision, maybe you made a bad choice, let me tell you, it's time to get up and move on into the fullness of what God has. And it's time we got free. We sing break every chain. My prayer is, is that every chain is broken. It's not just a song. And I can, I can, if I had time, I know there'll be people here struggling with stuff and struggling with maybe a sin and struggling with something. And Satan is using that over your life and it's time for you to shrug it off and turn to the grace of God again and remember that, that we're all sinners purchased by his blood. Come on, he does, if you're perfect, you're in the wrong place. should be in heaven with a harp, right? So we're a ragtag bunch that he uses. And we disappoint ourselves. Of course we do. But he, our Father, is never disappointed in us. Never disappointed in us. Because he loves us. And his heart is completely with us. You know, I don't know whether to mention this or not. But one of the things that came out. We we run recovery in our church. Recovery, I guess, is based in. uh, Has anybody heard of recovery? You haven't? Okay. You have. Good. Okay. Well, recovery is a 12-step program, right? And what recovery does is it, it helps you negotiate and deal with your past. Every one of us is fashioned and formed by our past. And the recovery principle would say this, that everybody's going through recovery of some form or another. We've all been mangled somewhere. All right? Nobody's had a completely clean passage through so far. So working out those things where we've been mangled and working out those things and bringing them to the throne of grace and allowing God's power of his Holy Spirit in us is absolutely the order of the day. Now, one of the things that I notice in my church, and I notice in other churches as well, and I notice in my own life, is this, and it's a question I guess I've put down here that's just for a thought. Are you driven or are you drawn? Because to be driven by, by a perfectionist spirit is a taskmaster that will just lead you into an early grave and lead those you lead into an early grave. But when you're drawn by the grace of God, and when you see his hand upon you, and when you understand his perfect love in your life, when it, when it comes from sonship, and you know that that's not a gender thing, that's a spiritual thing. When it comes from sonship where I know he's my father, it's a completely different world that I live in. Completely different world. See, my high expectations of me lead me potentially into high disappointment of me. And the higher I set the bar in my own life, the more unreasonable I can be with it. And I realize that I'm, I'm just not perfect. I'm not perfect. I can have a bad thought. Could you imagine that? Now, not here, not, not in Mansfield. You guys don't have bad thoughts, right? Back where I come from, we do, all right? Sometimes you want to headbutt somebody. I had a, I had a friend, are you, you're a liberated crowd, right? All right, okay. I had a friend once who was involved in national leadership. I won't, I won't go any further than that. I'll just let you try and guess. But he said to me, he said, do you know what, Mike? He said, if somebody came to me and conclusively proved there was no God, so I said, yeah. He said, I'll go and get a cricket bat, and there's about five people I want to visit. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we're all on that page at times, aren't we? 
Have you get frustrated with anybody? Anybody here ever got frustrated with somebody? <laughs> stop it. That's the best words of repentance I can give in my counseling seminars. Just stop it. For the grace God given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. David had his affair with Bathsheba. He was confronted, he repented, and God restored him, and he moved on. He moved on. And that's what we have to do in our disappointment with ourselves. Um, What do we do when we're disappointed? Well, here's a few things maybe that we shouldn't do. When I'm disappointed, I shouldn't play the blame game. Proverbs 19.3 from the message says this, people ruin their lives by their own stupidity. So what does God always get blamed? The blame game. Don't point the finger too quickly. I, I've learned in, in, in our context, I'm speaking about my context, not yours, so I don't know, I've imagined that we're all similar. But most problems and issues in my church or in our ministries are based in, in the management of that ministry. All right? If somebody's, we can blame somebody in our group for this, that, and the other. But actually, when you trace it back, quite often it's that I haven't tackled an issue that I need to tackle. It's a management thing. It's not them. It's me that's not managing it right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the worship group are going off in a certain direction, and I'm seething and fuming because they haven't done what I wanted them to do. Generally, that won't come down to them being a disobedient bunch of miscreants. That'll come down to me that has been a bad manager and not managed them correctly and communicated what I really wanted. Is that what I'm saying? And it's a tremendous release when we understand that. So we don't point the finger too quickly. Where did it go wrong? Was it my fault? Could I do this better? Insanity, we know, is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Our disappointment could be the best thing that ever happened to us. And failure, let me tell you, failure is evidence that somebody's tried to do something. And I'd rather be with a bunch of people that try to do something and fail any day than with a bunch of people that play it safe. In fact, if you read the parable of the talents, it's all about risk. And, and, and we as churches have to risk. You're going to have to take a punt on that person. You're going to have to take a chance with that group. You're going to have to take a chance with that thing you feel God's saying. It might go wrong. Great. Let it go wrong and let heaven applaud you. There's one that had a go. Better that than somebody playing it safe and burying the talent. Amen. Come on, back home they'll be throwing chairs at me now. Number two, if you get disappointed, stay disappointed on your own and don't drag others down with you. We all need friends. We need to unburden. We need to share our disappointments. Of course we do. I'll play it a little bit. But, but we need to remember that if we're leading something, our job is to build other people up. And we share successes. We share successes. So when I share a failure, I share a failure, but how God successfully got me through that failure. Does that make sense? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. Ephesians 4.29. I can remember... Um, Years and years and years ago, um, my computer broke. The hard drive went kaput. Um, I can remember uh, I had two people. I had marriage issues. I can remember there were all kinds of things going on. I can remember turning up at church that Sunday morning, and I'd only been in ministry maybe six months, and I stood up on the platform with my 20 people, whatever it was, 
And I said to him, and I thought I was being authentic. And I said to him, right, I've had a terrible week. And he went, oh, have you? I went, yeah, it's been a terrible week. Yeah, my computer blew up. Oh, really? Yeah, my computer blew up. Yeah. I had a couple of real big pastoral going, Really? Really? And I could see, physically see the shoulders going down, you know. And uh, afterwards, a, a very wise elder came to me and he said to me, he said to me, do you know what you did? He said, you killed all faith in that place this morning by sharing your tough week. No, I don't. I'm not into denial. I'm into authenticity. And if we have a tough week, I need to be able to talk to somebody about it. But I, I don't want to drag people down with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I want to build people up. I want to preach success. I want to preach favor of God. I want to preach courage. I want to preach all the good stuff of God. Because that's what I need to hear. And that's what we need to hear. And that's what our people need to hear. You know? The English army wore a red uniform for a reason. And the reason was if they got shot, they didn't want anybody else to spot the blood. And, and there's something in that. It's okay to share disappointment. But then we manage it and we move on. Number three, if I'm disappointed, I've got to relegate it to yesterday. I've got to relegate it to yesterday. It's not a today thing, it's a yesterday thing. Saul wrecked his spiritual career. Samuel previously had high hopes. The higher the hopes, the greater the disappointment. So Samuel's grieving over his disappointment. And what does God do? Does God come along and stroke his arm and, oh, there, there, you know, it's been a bit tough, isn't it? Oh, no, come on, scoot up on me lap. I'll hold you and hold you tight. You don't find God doing that that often. In fact, with me, when I've been disappointed, I'll tell you a story in a minute, but when I've been disappointed, it's really been a bit of a rebuke. Just get over it. Just get over it. Move on. Move on from this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. Hey, that's counseling Jesus style, isn't it? You know, fill up your horn, get on your horse, ride on, ride on, you know? And, and, and that's the way it should be. I can remember talking about Colin Dye a year into, a uh, year and a half into Newquay. Newquay's going really well now, by the way, and we're planting campuses, and that's why I'm here trying to pick very intelligent brains over here in Mansfield. And, uh, but in the olden days, it was, it was hard. And I can remember I wanted to resign. And I'm guessing that if I was to, again, do a secret survey with some of you guys, some of you guys would say, yeah, I felt like that on, top, on occasions too. So, um, so, fed up. I had enough. Fed up with God. Fed up with what's happening, you know. Faith, faith, faith. And it's not coming through, Jesus. And I went to a meeting where Colin Dye was speaking. Now, Colin's my spiritual father. He married me. He baptized me. He led me to Jesus. He's just the most amazing guy in my life. And he's speaking at this little church down the road from us. So, Go down this little church, and I'm sitting in the back of the church, having my little pity party, feeling all sorry for me, you know. And Colin comes in, <laughs> and I turn to Colin, and he catches my eye, and he says, Mike, Mike, how lovely to see you. And he gave me this big hug. How are you doing? And that was it. The cork came out of the bottle, and the proverbial genie flew out, you know. And he's like, oh, Colin, you know, there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and I'm so glad to see you, and there's this. Would you pray for me, would you do something, because I, 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 I went through all this stuff, and again, I expected the proverbial arm stroke, you know, you know, you, you get arm stroking, oh, you know, it'll be alright, it'll be alright, you'll, you'll come through this, and he didn't, he just looked at me, he, he just looked at me, and he said this, he said, you have to handle disappointment immediately, and then walked on, that's the honest truth, just walked on. Left me, left me at the back, fuming. I was so cross. 
I walked out the meeting, got in my car, and drove off down the A30, thinking, well, there's no love in this place. What happened to Colin? He used to be such a nice guy. And then it hit me. Thank God for the wisdom of men and women who will give us the truth. Who will give us the truth. Fill up. Some people here, listen, if you can't hear this prophetically, there's something wrong. You have to fill up your horn with oil and move on. It failed. Move on. It's okay. God knew it would. Move on. Whatever that thing is, press on from it. Press on from it. You can't change the past, but you can shape the future. You can shape the future. Get up back on your push bike. And keep cycling. If you hang on to it, you'll invite failure into your future. And none of us need that. Number four, don't dwell in self-pity. Time passed, Cain bought an offering to God from the produce in his farm and he bought. Abel also bought an offering. But from the firstborn animals is heard. Choice cuts of meat. God liked Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering didn't get his approval. Cain lost his temper and went into a sulk. That's Genesis 4, 3 and 5, 3 through 5 from the message. Self-pity is an understandable reaction to disappointments. You had courageous faith. You did. You believed God and you, you expected much and it didn't cut out the way you expected it to. And we all want comfort in our tough times. But comfort has to have a short shelf life. You can't stay in that zone. Self-pity is wearing. And for those of us, and I can see here, God's raising a whole generation of leaders. We cannot be a people of self-pity. We can't do it. We just haven't got the time. What was it Jesus culture used to sing? Do you do Jesus culture stuff here? The, The tree that bends, I don't have time for regret. Was it something like that? Something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Don't have time for regret. Just don't have time for it. I've got a world to take. I've got people to tell about Jesus. I've got to press through. Your leadership ultimately will be undermined by self-pity if you allow that in. You will never grow a great ministry from a basis of self-pity because self-pity gives way to insecurity and insecurity is terrible ground to try and build anything from. So we've got to move on from that. Number five, ensure your dreams by faith are attainable. <laughs> I, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When I first went uh, into my church, I went into the vestry. Uh, the vestry was apparently where they used to put the vests on, right? And I went into the vestry and in the vestry on the wall, this church had 17 people in it when we got there and that was on a good day when everybody came and we were counting feet, you know? 17. Actually, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Maybe not. And uh, on this calendar of the year, this year planner, it had in bold letters, target, end of 1992, 100. And I looked at this thing and I thought, what planet are you on? Honestly. Faith? Is that faith? I'd say that's presumptive. I'd say it's a lot of things, but it certainly isn't faith. It's, I certainly don't believe it's from God, personally. Now, before you start chucking rocks at me, right, just quoting out figures isn't necessarily faith. This church is going to be 10 times bigger by this time next year. 
that might not necessarily be a faith statement. That might be a crazy, lunatic flesh statement. That's what that might be. All right? It might be. Maybe it is a faith. Maybe God has told you that. But the point is, is that I need to engage God in faith for the vision for whatever it is I do. And my question for you today is, what is the vision for what you do? What is it? Now, you have a corporate vision, and your vision fits within the corporate vision of arena. I understand that. But if you, where there's no vision, the people perish. So what higher level are you calling your people to, and how did you get that vision is my question. Because if you downloaded it from the internet, it probably won't work. But if you sweated it through with prayer and fasting, and if you pounded that Bible, and if you sought the face of God, let me tell you something, it probably is true. And it will come to pass, because then you have a promise. So our faith goals have to be attainable by faith. By faith. There was a, an article in Reader's Digest about a company that glued a mustard seed to a brochure that was advertising the product they were manufacturing. And beneath the mustard seed, they had a caption that went something like the following. If you have faith as much as a grain of mustard seed in our product, you will see mountains of difference in what you're trying to achieve. And sometime later, a customer wrote back to the company saying, you'll be interested to know I planted your mustard seed and it's already grown into a very robust plant bearing healthy tomatoes. (laughs) What's the seed that you've got? What is it? What is it? If you're leading youth, what's your goal for the youth? And is it attainable by faith? Where's the worship team going? I know you've probably got answers to all this. I've never met, and I'm just chucking this stuff out there. But what I'm saying is, is that we have to have faith-attainable goals that are rooted in Christ and his word. And they're probably bigger than the ones you could download from the internet. They're probably bigger. So a small group of 100 by East is a big setup for disappointment. A great leader defines reality. Where are we at? Strategy says... Uh, sorry, vision says, what's our terminal objective? And strategy says, how are we going to get there? I, I, I tell you what, it's not rocket science, it's dead easy. Nobody goes on a journey without knowing where they are. If somebody, if I was, if I was to phone, phone Christian and say, uh, I can't find the church, probably the first thing Christian says is, well, what are, where are you? Look out your window. I can see McDonald's. Oh, right, okay. You need, so I need to figure out where I am. I need to figure out where I'm going. I'm going to Arena Church Mansfield. And then I work out how I'm going to get there. So whatever it is you're leading, whatever it is you're running, whatever, wherever you're going with what you're doing, that is vital. Number six, use your disappointment to inspire others. Hear, O Israel, today. You're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way in panic before them. Consider him, says Hebrews 12.3, who endured such opposition from sinful men so you'll not grow weary and lose heart. So courage is the cousin of disappointment. The root word of courage is the Latin word for heart. Courage is a heart thing. The actions of a leader give heart to the people we lead. They give encouragement to them. So, and this is a recovery thing, right? My greatest issues and disappointment become the greatest strength in the hands of God 
as I, as I allow them to propel me and those I'm leading into a new destiny and a new future. If all I'm doing is sitting on a platform saying, oh, this goes right, that goes right, this goes right, that goes right, my life's perfect, my kids glow in the dark, turn the lights off, look at them, you can see them glowing over there, look. But we have a wonderful life, you know, I, I, sing, I sing in tongues before breakfast and, you know, a, a fiery chariot collects me and brings me in the church and, boy, hallelujah, glory to God. What on earth am I training the people that I'm leading? It's surreal. It's not authentic. It's not true. But if I stand up before them and I say to them, you know, I went through a point where I nearly went through a nervous breakdown and I really very nearly lost my faith. But somehow in the midst of that, the power of the Spirit came upon me. The Word of God broke in. I was reminded of the promises He gave me. Come on! I've got visions over my life. I've got prophecies over my life. And God began to bam, 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 bring those in. And you can make it. And no matter how low you've gone, no matter how tough your ministry, no matter how wrecked your family is, no matter how tough your husband is, your wife is, no matter how far down the pipes it's all gone, let me tell you, God can bring you through it. Hey, he brought me through it. Come on, that's powerful. Isn't it? That's authenticity. But that comes from disappointment. How do you manage disappointment? If you're not going to have disappointment, you're not going to have a story. You're going to have no testimony. If your testimony is all just great stuff and you never hit a problem, most of the, all of the people that live out there, are facing horrors. And they need us to be authentic as to the solution through them. I face issues now, I've got to be honest, I face issues now as, oh yeah, great, there's another testimony coming. We've had lots of opposition with our rebuilding and stuff, and some of the stuff we've done. And, and, and all, all I can say on those occasions is, isn't this fantastic? What a testimony God's building. Look, look, they're all against us. Yeah, when this comes through, this is going to be amazing. You know, <laughs> Let's hope some more opposers. Because then it's going to be even greater glory for God. Number seven, don't panic. As for you, it's from the Amplified, 2 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, be calm and cool. Be steady and accept and suffer unflinchingly every hardship. Isn't that wonderful? Now read that again. As for you, be calm and cool and steady. Accept and suffer unflinchingly. Every hardship. And then he goes on and says, fully perform all the duties of your ministry. I wish I had time to share more about this. There's so many stories. One of the things that God's touched my life with is favor in terms of finance. And uh, I don't know why that is. It's grace. It's definitely not me because I'm useless. It's grace, right? I'm useless in that context. And um, we, we have, I don't even know where to start and stop with this. Um, we, we, we've been through, I think, nine building programs and literally millions and millions of pounds. You know, we can't pick up buildings like this for the price you guys pay. We have to, we have to pay a lot of money for ours. And, uh, and we're in, an, in what's called an objective one situation, which means uh, objective one is the, an area of greatest deprivation in, the, in Europe. Um, and so I won't go too much into that, but I can remember the, 